Well, the reason I was going fast there is I wanted to spend more quality time with my guest to discuss today's headlines. So that's RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Stephen. And Catherine Jung, Investment Director at Fidelity International. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. Lovely to see you in our Admiralty studio there. So, with some better than expected uh, data over the last few days, it looks like we're seeing green shoots of stabilisation for China's economy. Catherine. Yes, it's interesting because what we're seeing is the top leadership in all government entities really looking at creating and stabilizing growth and growing this confidence and domestic demand. So this notion that the top leadership isn't that interested in terms of the economy, I mean, you know, we really don't prescribe to that. And in fact, what we're seeing and expecting to see is further easing and supportive measures. It's tweaking, so it's not the big bang policy that we're used to in China, but nonetheless, it's incremental, but in aggregate, it's, it's quite meaningful. Okay. What are your thoughts, Barry? Well, I listened to Catherine and I'm impressed. I mean, <laughs> she's got a grip on the Chinese economy that I do not have. And uh, if you'll allow me, Stephen, I, I'll simply pass on that. I think that okay. the Chinese have yeah. done some things. They've done probably much more to come, but no big bang, as she just said. I mean, what I was interested in is yesterday Goldman Sachs produced a report that said all these kind of bits and pieces that the government were doing actually added up to 0.6% of an increase in GDP, which I was quite surprised about. Were you, Catherine? It's not so much the, um, the sort of the, the, the data breakdown. What we do know is that houses are, are wealthy in China in terms of the savings rate. It's just this lack of confidence we've yeah. seen you know, most of this year. And so it's reviving that confidence. But from a fundamental perspective and putting all the macro aside, when you speak to companies that they're factoring all the environment and, and they're really, I mean, you're seeing some amazing innovation coming out of China. A lot of companies actually are now moving part of their business offshore, so leveraging off their supply chain, leveraging off the CMY weakness and really gaining a presence offshore. So you've both got the domestic demand coming through as well as potential revenue and profit from offshore. But I tell you what I think is the most challenging, it's restoring that domestic confidence. Do you have any thoughts about that, Catherine? It is, and this is why I think the market's impatient because this kind of restoring of confidence takes time. Um, but again, I go back to the household savings rate. It's, it's robust. If we didn't see that kind of savings rate and we had households indebted, then that would be more of a concern. Okay. Well, good news yesterday on Country Garden. But if we were to paint a worst case scenario, how bad would it be for China and maybe the rest of the world? At some stage, Country Garden could not pay its debts, Catherine. I think you're going to see more and more private developers actually being in the same situation. And whilst it's, you know, it's negative for those companies, we have to take into consideration that what we're seeing in the property sector is potential consolidation. So the state-owned enterprises taking ownership of the projects and the sector sort of almost becoming like like the coal sector, the coal sector, or even the banking sector, many many years ago, in terms of you have a small group of SOEs who really really dominate the projects are developed, they're completed, and citizens get their apartments. Any thoughts from you, Barry, on how we can make consumers in China more confident? No, I. Th <laughs> okay. The short answer to your question would be. Don't worry, be, we've got some questions lined up for you later, Barry. I, I, the, the short answer would be if there's an improvement in United States-China economic relations, and that takes in geopolitical factors, then I think that um, Chinese consumers, American consumers, would feel a lot better. Mm. Regrettably, I don't think uh, I see. I don't see any sign of that on the horizon.
Do you see any sign of that on the horizon, Catherine? I think this isn't a new trend, right? We're mm. seeing these two super economies really try and gain global market share across a number of high-end manufacturing sectors. So this competitiveness is, is going to be with us for a long time and it indeed has even been there since even the Obama administration. So it's just something you have to factor in. Okay, let's move on to Japan now. Mixed messages are coming from Japan this week on whether they will be tightening their ultra-loose monetary policy. Certainly had an impact on the yen. What's going on here? Do you want to kick off, Barry? Yeah, I think uh, with the new central bank governor, it's clear that uh, the authorities are willing to tolerate a very weak yen. And I think that um, that has been a good sign for Japanese exporters and it's accepted by the Japanese public. The reality is, of course, that um, they're not getting the inflation that they really want. They would like to boost inflation. They probably will get it. But I think on, on the whole, Japan has done far better over the past 12 months than had been anticipated. And I think on balance, Stephen, the, the signs are quite good in Japan. Absolutely. Well, what are your thoughts, uh, Catherine, on Japan? You know, again, from a, a stock market perspective, we're really impressed with what the corporates have been doing in terms of rewarding minority shareholders. So historically, you saw you know, huge piles of cash and that wasn't distributed, and you're seeing that. So that's sort of a, a seeing a renewed enthusiasm in the market. So as long as the macro can be kept stable and, and policy measures you know, make sense for investors, then you're probably going to continue to see this sort of um, enthusiasm come through. Okay. Now, there's always something every day that <clears throat> shocks or surprises me. That's in the news. And today it was global foundries would choose a high-cost location like Singapore for a $4 billion chip plant. I think I know the answer to this, but what, what do you think, Barry? Why did they choose Singapore? Well, first of all, they've been involved in Singapore for quite some time. Oh, okay. And so mm. They know that market, and uh, I think it, you, you really have to, and, and Catherine knows a lot about this, so I'll, I'll defer to her again on this. It, it's at least $10 billion to build a new fab, and I don't think they're doing that. You mentioned a $4 billion figure. Uh, this is an expansion of what they've got, but let's face it. Global Foundries is a global entity. They're doing very well in Dresden, Germany. I think they are a major player, aren't they, number four in the in the world. Uh, so, so be it. I think, uh, yes, Singapore is a relatively high-cost environment, but if you're already there, yeah. then you know what you're getting into. I think it's the third largest chip maker in the world. Catherine, why did they pick Singapore? This could be this sort of growing trend in terms of having one location in, in Asia and then expanding to other parts in the region. So, you know, historically it's been the China plus one strategy, but in terms of memory and, and semis, you know, Korea and Taiwan clearly dominate in terms of the clear um, sort of players in that space. So, you know, you can understand Singapore's perspective. You know, you're seeing a lot of other ASEAN countries in India really trying to diversify their manufacturing base or their hubs and encouraging diversified F FDI. So this trend's likely to continue. But in, in terms of the actual semi space, you know, it, it's still unbelievable when you compare, um, you know, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturings and Samsung Electronics of the World versus the others coming through. And they st still have the uh, the most amazing pricing power. 
now? Well, you could call me an old cynic, but I thought one of the reasons probably would be the Singapore authorities giving them excellent terms and conditions or, or, or something. Am I an old cynic, Catherine? I don't think so. I mean, Indonesia's been very, very <laughs> clever in terms of attracting FDI, and, and so too is India really ramping up. So you're probably going to see this trend continue, whether it's semis, whether it's um, textiles, and ultimately this is good for, for overall Asian growth. Okay. So much interesting stuff going on in the tech world at the moment, and particularly thinking of the antitrust trial on Google, that it unfairly rigged the market by making its search engine the default on a wide range of devices. Now, I don't think they can deny doing it. We've all experienced it. But do you think the trial will find it unfair, Barry? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. You know, this is a trial that is going on without a jury, and it's expected to go on for four months. I think the Biden administration is pretty clear that they're following the lead of the Europeans. The Europeans have been far more involved in regulation of the American tech companies than the Americans. And I now see that uh, this is an evidence of the Biden administration stepping up its action. As to uh, what Google does, I don't think anyone is really surprised that uh, Google comes up on most of the home pages, start pages, when you open your phone or your laptop. Correct. That they pay Apple $10 billion a year, or mm. most uh, of that uh, money goes to Apple. Uh, I don't think that's a surprise either. I think Google has a strong case to make when they say that uh, if you don't like it, you can change it. It's, uh, they say, four, four clicks, then you're out. But uh, I haven't tested that. Maybe you have, Stephen. Um, I thought it was actually even less. I thought you could do it in a, a, a couple of clicks. Just let me think. Click on systems, click on um, apps, click on search. Oh, maybe it is four, actually, thinking about it. Seems more than it should be, but that, that, that's right. You know, wh but there's while, a you're, while you're mentioning uh, Go on. This, yeah. this trial in, in Washington, which you know is a four-month process, there's a one-day process that will take place on Wednesday that really, I think, is quite significant. And it's been held secret really because I don't think they wanted a lot of publicity until it all happened and that is that uh, Senator Chuck Schumer is having a artificial intelligence insight forum but at this forum on Wednesday on Capitol Hill will be Elon Musk, Zuckerberg from Meta, Altman from AI, Nadella from Microsoft, Wang from NVIDIA, Pichai from Alphabet, Google. So they're talking about AI, and this has to be a good thing. I think that listeners are aware that the prime minister in Britain is also taking a lead on this, talking about having an AI summit coming up. Yeah, yeah I think Rishi is trying to position him. The UK is leading the world for AI. Um, well, it, how's that gone under the radar, Barry? It's not very well known. I think it's because these guys are celebrities and they're also egoists and they're also extremely rich and powerful. And I think that the conditions for this, for example, there's no media allowed. And I think that's probably a good thing because 
As you know, Stephen, we've talked about this in the past. When you're talking about artificial intelligence, people really don't know where this thing is headed. And if you're talking about future regulation, you have to know the basics of what is likely to occur over the next few months. So I applaud the Congress of the United States for taking this initiative, and I further applaud them for keeping it under wraps until it all happens. Now, whether these people coming out of the meeting tomorrow night will have important things to say or anything to say to the media, that we'll have to wait for. I have to say, despite all of this talk of regulation and things, I still worry about AI because if it gets into the hands of a rogue state or some terrorist organization, um, yeah, it could all turn quite nasty. Um, Catherine, what are your thoughts on this Google trial? Oh, well, we've come out of our regulatory reform in China in terms of the, the yeah. monopolies or the key <laughs> sort of players. And if we, we just look back at sort of the Internet companies in China, we're now in a situation where there is no one dominant player, especially when it comes to e-commerce. And so, you know, even e-commerce as a sector, we're probably seeing a, a plateau in growth. Uh, but it means that all the, the competitors in this space can can grow and you're probably going to see profits sort of more in line with each other versus one just shooting the lights out because of the regulatory change. And, you know, even though it was frowned upon at the time in terms of how the changes were announced, when you look back, logistic, logically, it made a lot of sense because you were ensuring that there was a, a competitive market for all. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because I know, you know, the Chinese government got a lot of criticism for putting in regulations on the tech firm and it's getting part of the blame for that now and where the economy is but um you know now the u.s is going for it yeah what's interesting in china is, is all these companies have complied and so they've put in the process to ensure that you know that they're they're actually following the rules it's quite impressive the pace at which they've done this too yeah anyway i can't end the show until i've got barry's thoughts on the apple iphone because barry you're a big <laughs> apple fan admit it i am an apple fan but i think you're much more knowledgeable on this technology <laughs> than i let's face it this was uh, not a big thing in terms of the history of apple and unveiling products but the iphone 15 has got some things look they're yielding to the europeans they're not going to have the lightning connection for the plug you're going to have to use a small usb yeah that's uh, so right so i think yeah. uh, it looks it looks pretty good but as you say the stock was down but i think that happens after most of the apple events well the interesting thing about the usbc so they were put under pressure by the european union to do that so we don't have to have 500 different adapters i'm fully supportive of that but apple are actually saying it's going to help it's going to make things faster which makes you wonder why they didn't do it years ago well look they like to keep things proprietary yeah and they like to bring everyone into their own universe so they're yielding but uh you know apple's got some problems because uh, what the chinese are doing by saying that certain government entities are not going to be using apple phones that's what is it their third biggest market this uh, is Barry a problem and catherine i'm so sorry we've got the news coming up so thank you for your great conversation this morning